0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Overcoming Life podcast. I'm your host, Nashawn Garrett. Most of you guys know me from TikTok. And if it's that's the case, then thank you for following me to another platform to learn more about the Word of God. We have been studying the Book of Romans and, well, I imagine we're going to be talking about Romans. We talked about his introduction recently. And now we're going to get into uh, Romans chapter 1, v- starting at verse 8. I guess I'll pray for you guys and um, and for myself so that the Father can do what he wants to do. Father, I thank you so much for who you are, for um, what you say, um, for your will, your purpose, your plan, your intent, and your desire. Father, we ask that during this Bible study that you would bring clarity, bring understanding of your truth to know you, is uh, to have eternal life. So I ask that we would not only know what your will is, we would not only know uh, who you are and have a personal relationship with you, but we would also do your will and that we would agree with it in our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts, um, because we understand um, that all that you do is for our benefit and for our good. Thank you so much for these verses, and we ask that you would uh, remove anything that it doesn't need to be said, and that you would give me the words to speak that would honor and bring glory to your name, Yeshua's name, amen, or Jesus, amen. All right, after Paul's, Paul's per, first introduction, we have verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. So what did these Romans do? What did these um, even British people do that made them famous throughout the whole world? Did anyone ask that question? That is, we're talking about the Western world. Was Paul exaggerating their fame? And if these Romans, quote-unquote, were an, an, obscure, an obscure group of poor Christians that were meeting in a private home, how could they be such celebrities that were known outside their neighborhood in, in Rome? So you guys get the point, right? How is it the case— that they were known throughout the whole world is it that paul was just um, exaggerating and you know making more of their faith or was it something different so The answer is found in when we realize who these people actually were. And so in the introduction, Paul was writing to the British royal family who had been captured and brought to Rome two years earlier. And the family had converted to Christ under the ministry of Joseph of Arimathea around 36 or 37 AD. Britain became a haven for Christians who were fleeing Roman persecution. So Rome, uh, as a little bit of historical side, Rome had been fighting the British for nine years. Tacticus, the Roman historian of the day, wrote this in his book, The Annals, um, chapter 12. The Roman army then marched against the Silures, the British tribe, a naturally fierce people and now full of confidence in the might of Cataractus, The Roman name for Cataract, the father of Linus and Claudia, who by many an indecisive and many a successful battle had raised himself far above all the other generals of the Britons. Then he writes of the decisive Roman victory. So Rome ends up defeating the Brit, the British. It was a glorious victory. The wife and daughter of Cataractus were captured and his brothers were two were admitted to surrender. Then he tells us that they were brought to Rome to be paraded in the streets of the capital as glorious triumph of Emperor Claudius. Um, and he goes on to write about that. Cataractus and his family appeared before Claudius himself, where the great British general gave a famous speech that used to be memorized by every British schoolboy in the same manner that every American children has used to memorize Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. And so here's the speech. Had my government in Britain been direct, directed solely with a view to the preservation of my hereditary domains or the aggrandizement of my own family, I might long since have entered this city an ally, not a prisoner. Nor would you have disdained for a friend, a king descended from illustrious ancestors, and the dictator of many nations. My present condition, stripped of its former majesty, is as adverse to myself as is a cause of triumph to you. What then? Was I lord over men? I was lord over men, horses, arms, wealth. What wonder if at your dictation I refuse to resign them? Does it follow that because the Romans aspire to universal domination, every nation is to accept the vassalage that they would impose? I am now in your power, betrayed, not conquered. Had I, like others, yielded without resistance, where would have been the name of the Cardiac or Cardoc, carodoc? Where your glory? Oblivion would have been buried both at the same tomb. Bid me live, I shall survive forever in history, one example at least of Roman clemency. So Claudius. Was so impressed by this speech that he actually spared all their lives. And Tacticus tells us, upon this, the emperor granted pardon to Caracatus to his wife and to his brothers. So Carac- Carac- Caracatus, sorry about these names, guys, and Carad or Caradoc remained, t- agreed to remain in Rome for seven years and never again to take up arms against Rome. He was true to his word. Though his son, Selenius, was allowed to return to Britain, and a younger son, Sion, entered a Christian priestly order. The rest of them remained in Rome, and Caradoc's daughter, Gladys, was adopted by the emperor and given the name Claudia. And then she married Senator Rufus Pudens. Their mansion came to be known as Platium Brit or the place of the Britons. Crazy. So we can see then what was behind Paul's statement in Romans chapter 1 verse 8. Their faith was being proclaimed throughout the whole Roman world. They were far more famous than Paul himself, who was at that time just an obscure evangelist of a new religion. Upon hearing of his celebrated royal family, or this celebrated royal family, and their possible family connection with Paul's mother, we see this in Romans chapter sixteen, verse thirteen, where Paul says Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Paul certainly was motivated to write to them and to pray for them. So God eventually ends up delaying Paul, and we read this in verse nine. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers making request if perhaps now at last by the will of god i may succeed in coming to you paul had finished his missionary journeys in asia minor before he could go uh, to rome spain and finally then to britain by the time he was ready to visit rome however he was arrested in jerusalem at pentecost of 58 ad he was detained there for 2 years he was still there when Caradoc's exile ended in 59, and then he returned uh, when he returned to Britain. Then a devastatingly fierce war broke out in Britain, known as the Bodicean War. If Paul had not been detained, it is possible that he might have been in Britain when this war began. So God providentially delayed his trip to Britain for a total of four to five years. He arrived in Rome in 61, A.D. and spent two years there awaiting trial. And we read this in Acts chapter 28, verse 30. He stayed there two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all welcoming all who came to him. Only then when he was released, whereupon he preached first in Spain and then in Britain in the year 63. So we read this in verse 11. So you guys see this historical context. You see, without the historical context of these things, we, we really will misunderstand a lot. And so it's important that I'm I'm giving you guys these things. I know it's a little bit heady, but it's, it's good to know. We have to understand these things. So in verse 11, we read, For I long to see you in order that I might impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And I do not want you to be aware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you and prevented been prevented thus far, in order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the ethnos or nations. Paul labored to bring forth fruit. This is a common theme in scripture. He knew that the British royal family was a fruit-bearing tree, and he wished to cultivate their field in order to bring forth greater fruit of their harvest. This is, in fact, what he was doing in his, in his epistle. He was sowing the best quality seed of the word into their lives through the, the epistle of Romans so that they would be strengthened in the faith and in the knowledge of these extremely important principles of Scripture. And so we find ourselves to be the beneficiaries of Paul's seed as well. For when he committed his thoughts to paper, his words were given to future generations, which is amazing, guys. All of the other apostles preached the word, but only a few wrote For future generations. All of them did miracles. Impacted many lives in their day. But it remains for Paul. To be the most influential. Of the apostles. With the possible exception of John. Romans chapter 10. Excuse me. Romans chapter 1. Verse 10 and 11. Paul expresses his desire to go to Rome. To meet with the British royal family in person. To sow some seed. Into that field. verse 12 we see. That is that I might be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul recognized their faith by the things that had been reported around the Roman world because everyone knew that they were Christians. And it seems likely that their witness before the emperor Claudius had included their testimony of Jesus rather than just a political and military matter. Furthermore, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 16, verse 7, that they were in Christ before me. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 16, verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who were also in Christ before me. In other words, they had become believers in Christ before Paul's conversion. So we know that Paul was converted within a few months of Christ's ascension because 14 years later, he was commissioned with Barnabas and sent on his first missionary journey his commission came immediately after they had gone to Jerusalem with money to help in the time of the famine in 48 AD. Now we have to compare this with uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 27 through 30. So let's read that in verse 27 of uh, chapter 11 of Acts. Now at this time, there were some prophets who came from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Abagus stood up and began to indicate by the spirit that there would be certainly a famine over all the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. Okay. And again, in Galatians chapter two, verse one, then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus with me also. So, um, obviously we see that we're, we're seeing that Paul went, uh, back to Jerusalem after they had um, their first missionary journey Uh, and so we see these go ahead and take a look at these um, these uh, specific verses again that's Acts chapter 11 verse 27 to 30 and Galatians chapter 2 verse 1 so the question now comes up well who is Andronicus and Junia so Those are the ones that we had just read about in Romans chapter 16, verse 7. So if you're studying this, you know, you might want to write down that verse and ask yourself just this question. Who are these people? Andronicus means man of victory. Junia means youthful. I believe these were simply other names for Catericus and his wife. Paul calls them fellow prisoners or literally war captives. So they had been converted to Christ again, through the ministry of Joseph of Arimathea, probably even before the crucifixion of Christ. After all, Joseph was Rome's minister of mining, and he owned 10 mines in Britain. And it is likely that Jesus accompanied his great uncle on many of his trading trips from Britain to India. So there are many artifacts um, monuments and so-called quote-unquote legends in Britain, which testified to Jesus's presence there. Paul also says that Andronicus and Junia were outstanding among the apostles. So in those days, it was important that an apostle should be one who had seen Jesus or had been directly commissioned by him in some way. And we see this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. The century, the first century idea of an apostle could well indicate that Andronicus and Junia had seen Jesus. That's the idea. And even before his ministry had begun, and that they had been believers very early on, even before the start of Jesus' formal ministry, which is kind of cool to think about. So hence, Paul treated them as equals in the faith and desired to increase his own faith by fellowshipping with them. So Paul would teach them, and they would probably teach Paul of the things that they knew of Christ since they were in Christ before him. Hence, Paul treated them as equals in faith. In verse 14, we read, I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, to both the wise and to the foolish. Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. So even as characterizes, Cerautus and his family had not been ashamed to bear whisper to the gospel in the presence of Claudius, the emperor of Rome. So also was Paul, not ashamed to do the same. Of course, Claudius was already dead by the time that Paul wrote his apostle, or epistle. Uh, he came to the throne in forty one A.D. and he was poisoned and died on October thirteenth fifty four A.D. and shortly after Paul had begun his third missionary journey. Verse 17 we read, for in it the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And this is a quote from Habakkuk 2:4, behold, as for the proud one his soul is not right within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The phrase from faith to faith shows us that there are varying Uh, levels of faith. And faith comes by hearing. And hearing is certainly not a one-time event. You don't just hear one time, guys. It's a process of hearing from God and from the Father. And it is evident that our faith is increased by our ability to hear and by our obedient response to what we have heard. So not only is our ability to hear um, growing as we come from faith to faith, but our obedience to the things that we hear. First, it's all about are you hearing him and how are you hearing him and uh, how do you understand what he's saying? And then once we get understanding about what he is saying and once we've um, learned his voice, uh, we we are obedient to those things. And then now it's about the quality of our obedience along with the quality of how we understand his voice. So it's evident that our faith is increased by our ability to hear and by our obedient response to what we have heard. So Jesus' disciples even asked him in Luke chapter 17, verse 5, "'Increase our faith, Lord.'" That's what the apostles said. And Jesus told the Canaanite woman, "'Your faith is great.'" In Matthew chapter 15, verse 28. Faith then is increased. Did you know that your faith is increased, guys? And it is increased as one learns to hear the voice of God and to be led by the Spirit. And we see examples of this in Israel when they left Egypt by faith at Passover. When they arrived at the mountain, though, they refused to hear God's voice. So when God spoke to them on that day, which was later called Pentecost, they refused to hear his voice. And though they had faith in regards to Passover, they lacked the faith in Pentecost at that time. They refused to hear his voice. They didn't want to hear it. And so they didn't have the faith to fulfill Pentecost at that time. Hence, when it was time to come to the promised land, at the time of Tabernacles, and God had told them, "Hey, you guys are gonna beat these people, and it's gonna go well with you." But they didn't believe the good report of Joshua and Caleb, but they were, believed the evil report, and so they weren't able to enter into uh, the Promised Land. And um, I think a lot of people should understand too that Tabernacles um, would have been the same day. Um, so they fell short of the Tabernacles faith. There are two great, uh, excuse me, three great feast. Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And um, each of them represent a level of faith that we must enter into if we want to rule um, and reign with Christ. So seeing Israel's example, it reminds us, guys, and it should show us how to grow and develop from faith to faith so that we don't fall short of the promises of God. Thank you guys so much for listening to this Uh, episode i really hope that you are getting something out of this my um i think my greatest point in this uh would be first hey we have to understand the historical context of things um there are some really good books on the historical context um if you go to this website God'sKingdom.org. it's called um the let me see here what is it called it's called the the history the history of the church church history lessons from church history is is the name of the book so I would encourage you guys to check that out. Go ahead and read through that so that way you can understand these. And then that way, when you're reading these these epistles, you're getting this history behind it too. And um, we need to know the historical context behind these words so that we don't take them out of, um, out of context. We have to understand historical context. We're not only talking about biblical context. We're talking about historical context here, guys. So, blessing to you and grace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I um I'm very thankful for all you who listen. We'll see you on our next episode.